1: We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another podcast with the Rebels. We are Rebel Alliance Media, and we are uh, so glad to be back with you, uh, listening on whatever platform you happen to be listening on. As always, in Garage Mahal, you have uh, Pooti Tang and P-Nate. You also have the unsung hero, Davey, on the ones and twos. And <laughs> <laughs> the one, the on the way. ones and twos, I love it. I love yeah, it. and uh, and if you are just now getting to know the rebels, uh, we would love for you to interact with us. Find us on Facebook. Uh, visit our website at rebelalliancemedia.com dot uh, Whatever podcast catcher you happen to be listening to, uh, make sure you rate and subscribe and review and do all that fun stuff. And if you're listening to the podcast and you don't interact with us on Facebook, just know that we also drop some videos. And in fact, today's episode is brought to you by the controversial video that dropped several weeks ago. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we drop videos every Friday on Facebook, and we'd love for you to interact with us there and then check those out as well. Anything people need to know about Facebook, Chris? <laughs> yeah, you
0: should. If you're if you're a longtime listener or just starting to listen to us, if you want to see some great sheer fun on Facebook, you need to follow at least the, follow the rebels for sure. But also follow Nate <laughs> Nate Wright as well because <laughs> you find yourself in it, the thick of it, yes, all the time. I do. That's and true. Can I just say something? I, I don't like to boast about my friend, but I'm going to right now for a very good moment. Nice. You do well on Facebook. Oh, thanks, man. Every time I read the comments, I'm like, you know what? I couldn't, like, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you speak with grace. I think you speak with wisdom. In a very difficult avenue to have those things because people just apply emotion to text that aren't there. And when yeah. I read it, you, you kind of somewhat take that out. And a lot of times you're waiting with people that you've known for a very long time and who would have known you pre regeneration and after? So like, yep, and you yep. and you you wade into those conversations without any hesitation. So uh, well, thanks, props man. To you, bro.
1: Well, I mean, this podcast is all about engaging culture with a biblical worldview, right? And so one of the areas where uh, culture wars are happening now is on social media. And you and you and I have talked about this a little bit. So maybe we'll just give some context here. Um, I know there's probably a lot of our listeners who think maybe social media isn't necessarily the best place to engage in the in the kind of apologetics for the faith. Or, or uh, you know, these kinds of debates, if you will. Um, but I would challenge that. I would say that um, this is the printing press of our day, right? This is how people are communicating. This is how ideas are being shared. And so Christians have to be on there. And so when we say engage culture with a biblical worldview, one of the main areas that we mean to for you to engage is on Facebook. Because some of you, um, you live in or you work in environments where it's really hard. Maybe there's actual restrictions in your workplace about proselytizing and sharing your faith and stuff like that. And I still think you need to be a faithful Christian in those contexts. we talked about that before but i think that uh you you have your co-workers on facebook you have your co-workers on twitter use those places to engage with your co-workers
0: yeah facebook and not just facebook all social medias like we we live in a society that's headline driven we live in like yeah for sure um, front page news all the time every day everywhere yeah um face facebook and social media really gives is all of the rest of that medium, right? We see the headlines and then this is the cultural reaction to those things. Yeah. Good and bad. And we've, we've actually done an episode way back in the day at the beginning of this podcast, talking about why Christians need to be on social media and need to take this avenue, like this platform for the gospel, because the truth is the way people form opinions on social justice issues, political issues, cultural issues, basically anything today a lot, a large part of that comes from social media which is why when there's a trial they sequester juries from social media from media outlets including Twitter including all these things because the influence these things have on the way we think the way we think on a topic and engage with it social media impacts greatly so
1: yeah i agree we, we even—so we had a conversation recently about how um, one of the things uh, our church has been studying through the book of Acts, and uh, one of the things that you recognize as, uh, as Saul is converted and the gospel begins to go forward is you realize that um, one of the things that God was doing in the world prior to Christ being born into the world, the Messiah arriving on earth— is uh you know rome is building this massive empire which includes building roads between all of the very various cities and and regions that they've conquered as a way to um spread their propaganda and to spread their armies and to and to move supplies and what they intended for those roads was that. And yet what God superintended for those roads was that those would be the roads that Paul and Peter and Philip walked along in order to share the good news. So, so what Rome intended for evil, right, God intended for good. and And I would say that social media... Um, a lot of these things—they've been built by pagans, right? They've been—they've um, been made with wrong intentions, and and often used for the wrong intentions. But they're—they're they're there, and now they're available for Christians to use, like the Romans' roads, to now uh, spread the gospel much further than we could um, by walking along roads and and knocking on doors and all that kind of stuff.
0: It, exactly. It's it's a uh, it's 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 the. Cultural equivalent of standing up on the front steps of the synagogue and preaching. Right. Because, in a lot of, in a right. lot of instances.
1: Right. Because this is now where everyone is. Exactly. Yeah.
0: This is where the people come together yeah. to find out what the world is saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so honestly, so part of what we do here is, is uh, the podcast is to help you uh, engage culture with the biblical worldview. And part of what we do with the videos, and this is what Chris is alluding to when we get into uh, social media wars. Um, <laughs> part of it is uh, the videos that we drop on Fridays are kind Kind of meant uh, for you to share onto your wall, uh, so that you can um, engage your sphere and let us be the bad guys saying the Christian thing, <laughs> and then even tag us in it, and we'll we'll come and help you uh, have these conversations because we've been doing it for a little while, and and hopefully we're we're doing all right at it. And sometimes uh, it feels like you're beating your head against the wall, and sometimes I just get tired enough to turn off my phone, but um overall i think we're we're trying to do what god would have us do with the roman roman's roads of our day um okay so uh, speaking of all that is there anything i'm missing Rebel News. You want to do some Rebel News? Oh yeah, let's do some Rebel News. Um, actually, there. So several weeks ago, and we actually had several listeners who know that we're from Canada and make fun of the way we say about and things <laughs> what, like that. What's the
0: alter a boot? Is that how our? I
1: think to that's mean? how they think I say it. I don't know what the alternative is, but people make fun of how we speak and and enjoy our Canadianness. A? The fact that we have maple syrup on the table here with us. And <laughs> I put it in my <laughs> podcasting from the igloo. Um, no, but. Uh, so the royal the royal wedding right so they are our monarchs. I think I saw you post on social media how you wish that they would uh, you know usurp uh, Trudeau and, and take over our government again but um, so the royal wedding happened. And what was interesting, I didn't watch the Royal Wedding. We weren't too into it. Uh, my wife isn't even into that stuff, thankfully, so I didn't have to get up and watch it or anything. But um, one of the things that uh, I kept seeing on social media is that several people who I know who are Christians or um, or whatever are posting, oh, what a solid message by the, the was it a priest or a minister? Was it, it is, I, I assume it's a minister, it, right? Cause they're, uh, Bishop Protestant. Michael Curry. Okay. So, um, it was interesting that, uh, people kept saying, Oh, what, like, what a, what a solid gospel message that was. And so I was like, Oh, awesome. Like you and I talked about actually how the, um, the chaplain for the, the, um, humble Broncos, which was a hockey team here in Canada that got tragically killed in the bus accident, not uh, maybe a couple months ago now. Um, but the chaplain actually stood up at the, at the funeral where there were po- politicians, Canadian politicians, including Justin Trudeau, and he did deliver a, a solid gospel presentation. And so I was like, okay, like maybe this is true too, and which is great because there are ple- people tuning in from around the world and he's preaching the gospel to power and, and good for him. So I went on to try to find the transcript. You were the one who found it and then sent it to me. What was your reaction, Chris? Well, my,
0: I don't, I don't want to be the guy who's just saying he did terrible. um, (laughs) So, but I will, Um, this isn't the gospel. So the gospel is we are sinners. We need a savior. Jesus paid for the price, the paid the price that we couldn't pay. And because of his sacrifice, we can be in relationship with him and God. The gospel isn't God loves you. So love is great. Let's celebrate love. And that's what this, to me, that's what this message is. I know I'll get flack or we'll get flack for criticizing people's words. This is, he had a public forum and, you know, he probably did his best, but I didn't, I didn't love it. That's my, my overall, overall reaction to it. Um, And I have read it. And I also,
1: yeah. So what I, what I couldn't, you sent it to me and I think you put in the subject title like The Power of Love, right? Which just made me think of, remember the Back to the Future movie? Like, that's the power of love. Do you remember that old yeah, song? I yeah, I do
0: remember that old song. Please continue uh, to sing it. No,
1: I, I will not. Um, but what's what's interesting is, so I, I read it, and there, it was devoid of the gospel, right? There wasn't, like you said, there was not the, um, the historic Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from their sins, resurrected to conquer death, um, took your sins upon him through faith in Christ, you know, none of that stuff. Um, essentially the, the main part of the, the thing was love is really powerful and love comes from God. Now, I guess he could be commended for saying that God, like all authentic or genuine love comes from God. That's a biblical concept. But I kind of like, here's where I would say is kind of the, um, uh, the heart of his message. If there's any, if there's any kind of gospel center, this is it. Um, He, he says that uh, uh, this is the way of love Um, or sorry, this way of love is the way of life. They got it talking about Peter and Paul. They got it. He talking about Jesus died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He wasn't getting anything, uh, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life, He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world. For us, that's what love is. Now, so he gets it right that love looks like self-sacrifice Absolutely. on the cross. But again, what's, what's missing here is not that like what, what he's saying is that Jesus died, for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world. We would say that's true, but what's completely missing from this gospel presentation is he died for you because you are a sinner incapable of saving yourself and without his sacrifice, you were condemned in your sins. Exactly. Like mi- that's what it's missing. He's It's missing the why. Right. Like why was this necessary? Right. Why did Jesus
0: have to do this?
1: And it's completely devoid of you need to have faith in Christ, you need to believe in Christ, like you need to cast your only hope for salvation and reconciliation to God on Christ is devoid of all that. All it is is it talks about how His sacrifice. I think he uses was a healing balm for the world, right? And it's just like, well, actually, it was a historic moment when He died in the sinner's place, and all of those who place faith in Him believe that this happened and call upon Him um, will be saved. So, it it was devoid of the gospel. He got a few things right. He seems to have an understanding of the Bible and love and all that kind of stuff, but he missed the boat. He missed the gospel.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's exactly what what I would I would say too. Uh, it's it's a tough one because he's at a wedding, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know the decorum. But do you just drop it all on the on yes. the wedding? <laughs> so I think my big my I think most of my critique is for undiscerning Christians yeah. who are being like, "That was a great message. That was a yeah. great gospel presentation." Yeah. I think we've lost what the gospel is. If we think this is the gospel.
1: That's, and so, yeah, that's a huge point.
0: Let's separate it from Michael Curry who, you know, he was probably told this is what you're allowed to say. This is what you're not allowed to say. Will you perform our ceremony
1: and, and he, he just did it
0: and he did it. But he, when Christians are reading this and they don't, they're, they they are not able to pick out, well, was that actually the gospel? What's the point of this message? that's when I have a problem with it. And that's what I saw on social yeah. media was the reaction to from people, a lot of people I love and I, and I know who are just yeah. not discerning enough to see where the air, like what this actually was and what it wasn't.
1: Right. And I think that's, I, I, I think that speaks to our Christian culture in general right now is the fact that we can say Jesus died for the other, right? Jesus sacrificial death was a, a, a um, something that we should all aspire to. Like, the, like, that's not the gospel. And the fact that we think that's the gospel is exactly why the gospel is not being successful in most of our churches, because the actual gospel calls sinners to repentance. Yeah, and repentance exactly. is the thing that we are just completely missing in our gospel.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not a it's not a universal Universalist, yeah. exactly like that's and that's kind of what he yeah, is alluding way. to yep. jesus died to save us all yeah um there was no like i Without don't know any sort
1: of onus on the individual to believe it repent put faith in
0: exactly yep. which which to be honest is what i expected when people sent it to me saying like well I'll check this great gospel presentation out and i was just like i was excited to be like because i know like the beckhams are there there's high society is there and You know, this is a platform that he had, and then that's the message that he kind of delivers. I was a little disappointed.
1: And I would just say, I guess in closing, you've already said this, but let me just say it kind of explicitly: is like if if this is what impresses us in a gospel presentation, how low are our standards, right? If this is a good gospel sermon, how low are our standards? Like this is a far cry from Peter standing up and saying all of you repent and be baptized for the, for the forgiveness of sins, right? Like Jesus blood is on your hands. You want to be reconciled, repent and believe like it's a far cry.
0: Well, exactly. It just, it just le- alludes to a, uh, a biblical, I don't know if the right word is like, uh, uneducation, I guess would be the right word. Right? I don't, you probably have a better word for that, but it, which leads really well into what we're actually going to talk about. Today. Well, and that's so. what I was going
1: to say. So let me just say this, because I imagine that there's going to be some people listening, or at least my hope is that there's some people listening to this because you got this episode shared to you. Um, just because of the nature of this, I'm hoping that some of our, our you know, we don't want to just preach to the choir. So we hope that some of the choir that we're preaching to shares this with some of their uh, friends who maybe aren't part of the choir, you know, to, to extend that metaphor. But I would say you might be listening to this and say, well, that might be the message you guys are all about, but like, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus was loving. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus ate with sinners, all that kind of stuff. And I would just say, Jesus was far more a hellfire and brimstone preacher than Paul or any of us. Right. Like read Matthew or Luke 13, when Jesus says, repent or perish, like read about when, when, uh, the tower of Siloam fell on people and Jesus used that as an opportunity to say, do you think you're any less worse sinners than the people who the tower fell on? Unless you also, uh, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Like Jesus was hard when he needed to be and he did not mince words and it wasn't just for the pharisees he was hard in demanding repentance and obedience so um if you're listening to this right now i would just encourage you to listen to the rest of the episode even though this might put a bad taste in your mouth we're going to talk about church and why we think that you need to be connected to a bible believing bible preaching church absolutely all right so let's take a quick break and uh, and then we'll come right back
0: The Rebel Alliance podcast is about discipleship, bringing the gospel message about how to interact in a biblical way with your family, friends, co-workers, and your culture. Would you like to be a part of this? Rebel Alliance Media is looking for financial sponsors, a one-time gift, a monthly donation, whatever you like. Contact the rebels at info at com. That's info at rebelalliancemedia.com.
1: All right, we're back and uh, we're back and we're going to talk today just about uh, the importance of the church, I guess, and uh, the importance of being connected to the church and full disclosure, uh, we were talking earlier about Facebook battles and uh, uh, the the idea for this episode happened in uh, because we we got into a Facebook conversation. Um, with, uh, with somebody who professes to be a Christian, who was essentially saying that I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I interpret scripture on my, on my own and threw a bunch of verses out at us. And I would say, uh, definitely taken out of context. So, um, let, let's just start with our assertion. Our assertion is that if you are a Christian, then you are commanded to be a part of a local church. That means for those of you who are regular listeners, listening to a podcast or listening to sermons of your favorite preacher is not enough. You are commanded by God to not neglect meeting together, but instead to um, be a part of the local gathering. You're, You're called to be part of the church. And so I would just say that um, that's our assertion, is that you are commanded, you are compelled to be a part of the, the gathered body. And I think too often there are Christians who would say something along the lines of, I don't believe in, in organizational church, I don't believe in the organized institution of church, I don't need to be a part of a church uh, thing, you know, as long as I'm getting together with other Christians, and as long as I'm reading my Bible, then I'm good to go. And it's to those people um, that we want to talk to today.
0: Yeah, basically. Um, so, really, really, the easiest way to break this down is to to show you in scripture, I think, where where these commands are made explicit. Um, so the the first one I always I always go to when people are asking because this is a question we get all the time in terms. Yeah, of we like, actually do. Um, people saying, "Well, why do I have to do this thing? Why do I have to submit to a group a group of elders? Why do I have to become a member of a church?" To be in, you know what I mean, and I just want to say, well, one, the Bible explicitly tells us to be imitators of Christ. Um, so Luke four sixteen, Jesus went on the Sabbath day to the synagogue as was his custom. Christ went to church on, on a weekly basis. Mark one twenty one, Jesus and his commandings went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, they went to the synagogue and began to teach. Luke six six. And when it came to pass, also on another Sabbath, that he entered into the synagogue and taught. I'm just, again, just yep. throwing out verses yep, as we go. It. Acts 11, 16. And when he found him, he brought him to the Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. First Corinthians 11, 1. Be ye followers of me, even so also I am of Christ. If we If we claim to follow Christ, which is... Identically, basically, if you, if you say you're a Christian, you claim to follow Christ, you're, that means you have to be an imitator of Christ and Christ modeled that he went to church himself.
1: That's right. And, um, so I, the other place that I, that immediately comes to mind is in Hebrews 10, um and this is a verse that many of us love to quote it talks about uh let us uh, hold fast to the confession of our hope with, uh, uh, without wavering for he who is promised he who promised is faithful that's verse 23 of hebrews chapter 10 and then verse 24 and 25 say this let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works right and then it says, "Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day is drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment." When he says, "They're not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some," I think that he's. I think the author of Hebrews is talking. Two, and, and so I would just say, if you're listening to this as somebody who believes that they don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, um, then I would just say that this is actually saying, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. I think he's talking about you. He's talking about Christians who are neglecting meeting together as the corporate body of Christ. So, um, and, and here's what I would say. We don't believe that going to church makes you a Christian. We no, don't, believe, of course not. right? That we are saved by grace and so your a church attendance is not what merits favor with God, right? Only Christ earned favor with God and he imputes that to us when, with repentance of faith. But what I would say is that what this is trying to say is If you are neglecting to meet together, because it goes on to say, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of truth. So in other words, as you search the scriptures and see that the continual command, and we're going to get to some of those, the continual command to be part of the local church and to submit yourself to the local church and be part of the corporate gathering, if you see that and yet neglect it deliberately sinning deliberately not being a part of a church because maybe you don't want to be held accountable maybe um, you don't want to do the hard work of finding a good bible believing church maybe just the idea of um, interacting with other christians scares you maybe you've been hurt by by church before and so you're looking for opportunities uh, to explain it away this is saying there's no such category in scripture as somebody as a christian who goes on deliberately sinning Right. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives and we might struggle with sin, but it's a struggle. There's no such thing as a Christian who just willfully continues to go on doing what they know to be sinful without any sort of remorse or any sort of conviction by the Holy Spirit. So I I think that's it's a very difficult or a very dangerous category there. So there's a couple texts that I want to encourage our, our people to go to. Number one is is Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew chapter 18 is the famous passage about um, church discipline, right? And we've gone through this before, and because I think that one of the um, one of the verses that people use to justify not being a part of a church is. Um, verse 20 of Matthew 18, for where two or more gathered in my name, there I am among them, right? And we've we've talked about this. We did a video on this. That verse is actually talking about church discipline. And this whole verse, I think, is actually a compelling argument why people should be part of the church. If your brother sins against you, verse 15 starts, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. There's the two or three that verse 20 is relating to. Um, so uh, if he does not listen, take two, uh, one or two others along with you. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector to you. So what this is talking about is Jesus is saying, if somebody sins against you, if somebody offends you, go and work it out with him one-on-one. If you can't work it out one-on-one, maybe he he denies it or maybe he's not willing to uh, make reconciliation, take one or two Christian brothers with you. If he still won't listen, then tell it to the church. Well, if church, if if the only thing, quote, church is, is the people of God and where two or three are gathered, there's church for me. And this is what we hear all the time. If that's all church is, then what's the next court of appeal? Jesus actually separates the the, the uh, three or four people is different than the church. Because if he doesn't listen to the three or four people, he says, go and tell it to the church. So in Jesus' mind... There's something different and unique about the church, the organized institutional church that he's talking about in that passage, as opposed to just a group of people, just a group of Christians. So that it's not true that the church is only the, the people. The church is the gathering of people, but it requires something. And I would say it requires biblically mandated church leadership, church discipline, as we're seeing in this. Um, the uh, administration of the Lord's Supper, administration of baptism, all of those kinds of things are what go into the church, and you can't have. I I, I like to kind of joke around. If you don't like organized church, do you like disorganized church? <laughs> and the the whole point here is that in some way the church, as Jesus understood it, needs to have a way of selecting leaders, have a way of allowing those leaders to administer discipline, allow those leaders to administer the Lord's table, allow those leaders. To um, perform baptisms, and so you don't just get that by "quote unquote" fellowship with other Christians. That's part of the organized church, as part of the local church. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's
0: the te- the temptation with that verse, and the temptation with this whole idea of like, I don't need the established yep b- buildings and the church. I just want to do Christianity myself with me and the Lord. That temptation that you have is fraught with danger. Like I, the only way I can articulate this to people is to, to give you an example from my own life. So when I first became a Christian, I had people who spent the time discipled me. Well, got me to start reading good books. Well, what happened is that life circumstances changed for those, those men. And then I was kind of left on my own for a little bit, but I was still a little too new in the faith to be left on my own. I was early twenties. And so what happens is, well, I'm hanging out with my friends and they start reading books. Well, I'm not wise enough in the faith to discern the difference between a new kind of Christian and John Owen's work. You know what I mean? I don't know the difference. I think everything that's written by a Christian is a good piece of literature. So I start reading those things and what those books all start talking about. Well, you don't need the building of the church. It's just about love two or three years of reading that kind of stuff down the road. I don't think I need to go to church. I don't think I need all these things. My theology, my, my, walk with the lord is totally different doesn't even reflect what the bible says that it should reflect and it was only through the grace of good faithful bible teachers and a good strong couple other friendships that came in that brought me back into sound doctrine and it's one of those things where it's like if you if you're not attending a a good bible believing church you're you're risking everything with your faith in yeah. terms of like I'm not saying, Oh, you're also going to not be a Christian. I can't speak to your, your, your genuine regeneration at the time, but I can speak to your spiritual growth. If you're not in a good, good Bible believing church or, and pouring in and having, and here's the other caveat to that. Having people disciple you, having people, paying attention to the way you're living your faith out, right. which is what the church as this verses shows is one of the primary mandates of it yeah. to keep each other accountable, to keep each other growing together in Christ likeness.
1: That's exactly right. And I think that's the other um, kind of main, um, uh, proof, if you will, in the New Testament about uh, believers being part of a, a church. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I won't bother reading it, but our listeners can go there. It talks about a guy who's caught up in sexual immorality, and Paul actually tells the church to cast him out from among them. So there, there's an understanding in the early church, and Paul is saying, basically, know who's in, know who's part of you, and the discipline for this particular individual is to cast him out, like take him out from your gathering. This is church discipline. We call it excommunication. And the reason they do that, he actually says um, so that his soul might be saved, right? So like this is a form of judgment showing that he is right now outside of the grace of God. Right. And if the church is the representative of Christ on the earth, then being outside the church is a symbol of being outside of the judgment of God. Basically saying what what Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about and saying, you know, don't go on deliberately sinning. You know the sexual immorality in context. You know the sexual immorality is, is unjust. It's unright. You are not in right standing before God because you are deliberately sinning. And the Bible talks about people who go on deliberately sinning as people who don't actually have the spirit within them. So he says, send him out from among you. So there's another one. Um, one of my favorite passages to go to uh, when we're talking about this stuff is uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to think about this as if you're me right now, right? So I'm a pastor and, uh, and Chris is going to school and, and will be a pastor one day. And so this is a very scary verse. Um, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. So what leaders is he talking about for they keep watch over your souls. So we're talking about church leaders because it's church leaders who are responsible for your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So this is there's two things going on here. Number one, to the church member, the church adherent, the church person, submit to your leaders and obey them. So submit and obey. To the leaders, you will give an account for the people who are in submission to you. So here's my question. Chris and I are teaching right now, kind of, through this podcast, right? But let's not even use this as an example. Let's just say, you know, John Piper's sermons go out to all the world, right? And they, they get listened to all over the place. Is John Piper going to give an account for every single person who has ever heard him preach a sermon? I'm
0: sure, I'm, I'm sure he says, I hope not.
1: Yeah. And, well, and that would be my thing too. I hope not. I hope that, you know, and there are a revolving door of people. There are people that we only see at Crossroads Church on um, Christmas and Easter, right? Are those people who come to two services a year and never submit to or obey anything that I tell them to do, am I responsible for their souls? I would say no. Similarly, are are you, oh listener, you know, whoever you are, are you called to submit to everybody who calls himself a church leader? Are you compelled to submit to the Bishop that we talked about who did the Royal wedding? Are you, are you commanded to submit to Andy Stanley or Benny Hinn or uh, Joel Osteen or John Piper, or John MacArthur? You're not called to submit to all those people. There's somebody that you're called to submit to, but who is that person? So what I would say that church membership is so biblical because we have to find a way to obey that verse. And in that verse, we're called to obey our leaders and um, that, and to be faithful enough that we're uh, willing to give an account to God for the people that are submitting to us. So the idea here of, of what church membership looks like, what does it mean to be a part of a local church? It means that... You are saying, that's a leader I'm willing to submit to. That's a leader I'm willing to um, obey because I believe that they're teaching the actual words of God. And then mutually, the church leadership looking at somebody and saying, I believe that person's actually a believer. I am willing to give an account to God for that person and how i shepherd them i'm going to give an account to god for somebody i want to know that they're submitted to me and will obey me now that doesn't mean that they obey everything i say right i'm i'm uh, accountable to the rest of the church leadership and all that kind of stuff um but this is that we have to find a way to obey that verse and make it mean something right not just not mean anything
0: yeah exactly and we and we've seen like we don't want to go down this bunny trail, but we've seen the abuse of obey me for sure. For so sure, so it's one of those things. We're not saying that if you tell me, you know, go clean the carpet in the sanctuary right now, or you're out. I don't. I don't have to do that. I hope I would because you asked me, <laughs> but I mean, like that—that that isn't exactly what, what what this is saying. <laughs> noted, and that's not what this is saying. What we're saying is like I'll follow your leader. You know what yeah. I mean? Like imitate be a good be a good like um almost like not employee but a similar similar idea like follow your leaders respect your leaders obey the obey their commands because their commands hopefully are the same as christ's commands you know what i mean like yep, if you're following exactly. the right people um, and that's again that's a weighty top a weighty verse for every elder every church leader every youth group leader you know what i mean like right it's 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 i know that uh I think you told me one time this this used to keep you up at nights.
1: Absolutely, still does. <laughs> still does, and it still does. Yeah, and it still does. Yeah, it's weighty, right? It's it's weighty. James tells us in James, I think it's three, uh, that not many of you should be teachers because we're judged more harshly, right? And so that does that does keep me up at night. That does make me pray and lean on God for faithfulness. Um, last, last place that I kind of wanted to go, I know you got some notes there too, so I'll say this and then I'll turn it over to you, is um, in First Timothy 3, um, there's other places, but First Timothy 3, it talks about uh, the qualifications for elders, right? And so it talks about, uh, again, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So again, what is the church? Well, a church is something that has this office, this this place where not everybody gets appointed to the, the office of elder, but um, some people do, and it gives qualifications, right? Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, all these kinds of things. Um, so again, in your little two or three group of Christians who are meeting at Starbucks, who's the elder who's the overseer who's submitting to who here who's administering church discipline who's administering the lord's table these are all questions so the organized church is is god's hope for the world and and it was built on the foundation of the apostles and and paul you know he directs timothy go and pick elders right um, we see in Acts chapter, I think it's chapter six, where they appoint men, right? Stephen being one of them, Philip being another one, to to start overseeing the distribution of the food and all that kind of stuff. So we see an organization emerge within the early church, and so I, I get so frustrated when I hear people say, "Oh, I just want to be like the early church and you know, just meet in homes and meet with." Yeah, you know what? Even in the midst of meeting in homes, which by the way, most of the homes in that area had a courtyard, which is probably where they met. And there were probably, you know, several families, each family being between 10 and 30 people, several families a part of any gathering. So we're talking about a church of a 100 and some odd people. But um, besides all that. It was a place where there was church discipline, there was the Lord's Supper, there was the appointing of elders, there was all of this kind of stuff. So whatever your church looks like, it doesn't have to meet in a building, it can meet in a school, it can meet in a home, but it has to be a a church in the terms that the Bible defines a church, not in the way you want to define the church.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, the I I do have a ton of other little things to say on this, but we kind of kind of hit on parts of it, so I feel like some some of it would be repeating. But the the th- one of the things I would like to challenge again, the the choir, whoever those people are who are who are like, eh, I still don't know if I need to go to church to be to be in to be Christian to do what you're you're commanding me. I I would challenge you with verse Matthew six thirty three where it says. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Um, and so, I, I ask you the question: Is like when when you're at home on Sunday morning and you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, are you really seeking the kingdom first? Are you are you honoring the first part of that verse where it says seek the kingdom first and His righteousness? Now, right away, I know somebody somebody sitting there being like, Yeah, well, I'm reading my Bible, so I am seeking I'm seeking His face when I'm when I'm homing. And, that, and that's great. You can do that. Yep. But Christ gave up, up his body for the church. Yep. He gave up his life for the church. He loves the church. If you want to see a full orb view of what Christ is like, you see it in the church because that's we're right. all equipped to fulfill roles that Christ could fulfill himself perfectly. But I can't fulfill all those roles. Yeah, that's good. Nate can't fulfill all those roles. But the church body as a, as a collective, we can Yep. because we're all gifted differently. And that's another reason you need to be serving in the church because I don't know where your church is, but you not being at that church means some church somewhere is lacking what you could bring to the body of Christ to advance his kingdom because we're all blessed into this mission, this, this, uh, mission as we're brought in as children of God, as heirs of Christ. We've inherited his mission, Yeah, which means you need to be partaking in that. And if you're not partaking in that, if you're on the other side who's abdicated from the mission, choosing to do your own Christian thing. We, the Bible doesn't have a category for you. We've, yep. we've seen that, which means you really need to at that point re-evaluate, Am I do I really believe what I claim I believe?
1: Right. Um, last thing I'd say is that, um, first of all, here's a good resource for anybody who's listening to this, um, is a, a book by Kevin DeYoung called Why We Love the Church. I think it's actually co-authored by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck. A uh, really good book. It was written several years ago, but that was really helpful for me when I was going through my hippie Christian phase where I, <laughs> thought, I thought I could do it without the church as well. Um, and, uh, and I would just say uh, in, in the book of Acts, when uh, Saul encounters the risen Lord on the road to uh, Damascus, it's interesting that Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's reaction is, "Who are you?" And he says, "I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting." So Jesus attaches himself to the church because Saul was persecuting the church. It was it was the organization. It was the it's it was the uh, the institution of the church that he was trying to stop in its tracks. And Jesus, Paul, Saul's reaction could have been, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church, right? I have no problem with little Christians. I have, you know, he wouldn't have said this, but I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm making up a scenario here. I don't have a problem with the Christians. I have a problem with the organization, the institution, but Jesus didn't give him that option because he does not separate himself from the church. So in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the head. There's two, there's, there's actually three. Um, metaphors throughout scripture for the church that are, that kind of rise to the surface. Number one, Jesus is the head. We are the body. Just like you can't have a decapitated church. That is the church without Christ is dangerous. You also can't have a decorpulated church. That is just Christ without the body. The two go together. Head needs a body. A body needs the the head. That's the way God's ordained it. The other metaphor is that we're all stones and Christ is the cornerstone, right? We're building a temple, a dwelling place for God, and Jesus is the cornerstone. So we're all built on him, but we all make up the dwelling place of God. In other words, God is visibly seen on the earth through the church, and we're all stones. Um, there, the, and, and then the last metaphor, and I'll just, I'll just end with this one, is that Christ is the groom and we are the bride, And so I would just say to all of those people who are out there saying like bashing the church, hating the church, you know, not wanting to be a part of the church, you are bashing Christ's bride. Like any good husband will defend his bride. You know, there, I can't imagine a group of friends sitting around together and like the three guys ribbing on the other guy's wife, saying, "Oh man, she's horrible." You know, she's she's very you know unChrist-like. She's very you know whatever the case may be. There's not a there's not a man whose worth is salt who's not going to defend his bride. And so Christ cares deeply for his bride. It's why the apostles went to such great lengths to tell us what the church should look like. And if that's the case. Then we ought not mar the image. We ought not um, uh, bash Christ's bride because it means an awful lot to him.
0: Yeah, it's a quick way. To, it's a quick way to not be friends with those people anymore. Totally, right? Which, yeah. if you play out that analogy, if you're badmouthing his bride, well, what does that actually say about you? you That's right. I, mean? um, I we we were at a conference a while ago. Um, And the speaker um, said, said these things and I, it had a profound impact on me. I was very convicted by it because, you know, you can just, because I'm, I'm trying to get things to be excellent and things like that. You can sometimes become an accuser of your own church. And so I just also, also would just challenge people to, to really ask yourself, do you love your church when you're sitting there? Like as people who are, we're going to talk to the other half for a second here. Now um, the people who are faithfully attending a church, Love your body, love the body that you serve, love the body that you attend with, love those people. Become an advocate rather than an accuser of that body. That's good. Start to campaign for those people, demonstrate your love to those people. Because no church is perfect. No, just like in the analogy of wives, I don't know if I should, in the (laughs) analogy of wives, no wife is perfect, right? (laughs) Yeah. but you're an advocate for your wife. That's right. To me, my wife is as perfect as she can be. You know what I mean? Um, That's the way it should be with the church because Christ as the head is perfect, but the bride yet isn't perfect. We're on our way to perfection. And, being a member of that body can help spur that body on to be perfect, yeah. be perfect, to be an advocate of your church. So that's right. um, I just wanted to share. Yeah, that no, that's,
1: that's solid. So, um, here's what we would say. That's all we have to say. We, we kind of wanted to pause because more and more, and the truth is, let me just say this. We are so thankful that so many people are reaching out to us and, and we have some other pastors and church members in and around Southwestern Ontario and around the world really who are reaching out to us and just encouraging us. We we're so thankful for that, but more and more we're also finding that there are people who are reaching out to us, who don't have a church home, who uh, you know rely on podcasts and rely on listening to you know Piper sermons online or, or whomever, and we would just say like this episode is for you. We want to encourage you go find a church, even if it's not a perfect church, even if if you don't agree with every single doctrine, go and find that church and be part of the solution. Like be part of be part of helping that church become biblically faithful. And, and even more than that, um, I would just say to all of our listeners who maybe were just preaching to the choir with this episode, find somebody in your life because we all have those friends who are detached from the church who claim to love Jesus, send them this episode, tag them in this episode, let them listen to this because we think it's incredibly important. There's a, there's a quote by John Stott, and he uh, he says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Bible doesn't have a category for the unchurched Christian. Christians want to go to church because it's, it's God's hope for the world. And, uh, and you were telling me a story actually about, uh, about somebody saying to you one time that, you know, just enough of your Bible to be dangerous, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: actually, um, he's, he's actually a listener. I don't know if he's, he's a a guy, a guy named, I'll just say his name. Yeah. Uh, A guy named Chris Redman. Probably, he probably doesn't even remember this. About 13 years ago, we were in a, we were in a pub and you know how just guys are, uh, like, you know. Chatting and I and I made a comment about well Jesus would never condemn condemn drinking this and I was just making a joke about the fact that he turned water into wine because I I still did know my scriptures but not my theology very well yeah. and I remember he turned to me and it, it always impacted me because I was like he was somebody I respected and he turned to me and he was like you know just enough of your Bible to be dangerous and I and then the conversation went on and everybody had a laugh and then went on but it, that stuck with me because you know a little bit arrogantly I generally pride myself on being. One smartest of the, guy sm- in the, room. Usually the smartest, <laughs> yeah. unless I'm hanging around you. Um, I'm usually the smartest guy. The no, I know. I just mean, I usually think yeah. I know my scriptures better than most people in, in that context, arrogantly at that time, I definitely did. Now I know better. Um, and I remember taking that and being like, and wrestling with that. Like, as you say, the cocoon face, like a yeah. dark night of the soul. What does that mean? Yeah. Exactly. For a very long time. And then I realized he was dead. Right. Right. I knew just enough to like, Pervert Christianity into what I thought it should be rather right. than what it actually is, yeah. which really to tie back is I think exactly what it, though, I'm not going to name names in this case, but a lot of the people you're fighting with on Facebook are the are doing the exact yeah. same thing. I they, was guilty.
1: They of. know just enough of the Bible to twist it to make it say what they want it to say. Exactly. And and all of the, so in this conversation, there are some verses that were thrown out there. And, and, you know, I just say, so they quoted the verse, um, you know, that uh, in Malachi, when it talks about, we all have one father, God. Well, they, they, they use that as a sort of almost like a pluralistic sort of proof text, when if you read that in context, you recognize that, well, he was talking to the people of God at that time. And I just said, how do you contrast that when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and says, you, your father is not God, your father is the devil, right? So like, you have to know the Bible well enough to have wrestled through the contradictions and, and interpret scripture in light of other scripture. And we think that if you understand the entire breadth of scripture, you understand, Understand that it is God's desire for you to be a part of the institutional, organized gathering of His people for corporate worship, and uh, and so we hope that this has challenged those of you who don't believe that into doing that. And if, like I said, if we're preaching the choir, then uh, then find somebody to send this to. Um, interact with us, shoot us some uh, feedback, and uh, tag your friends in this episode. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Peace.